Father, we give you thanks and praise for this Bible study. Lord, uh, anoint your servant, Lord, and give us all ears to hear and hearts to receive and eyes to see. Lord, let your word be deeply implanted in us today. Let it come to life and give us that rhema of revelation today of your word. Uh, Father, be with us today. Uh, We invite the Holy Spirit into this place. We relinquish ourselves and we release ourselves as vessels to the Holy Spirit, to his purpose. Satan, we put you on notice. You're not welcome in this place. We bind all spirits, not of the Holy Spirit, all wicked spirits in high places, all principalities with assignments over this Bible study and over this area for any Christians. We call all your plans cursed and and, uh, at their very roots. You're bound, you're cast out, we're loosed. And Father, we just deploy angels right now to put a hedge of protection around this place as we study your word tonight. Lord, make it real to us and all those that agree. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So tonight we are doing a study. Uh, It is in the book of Nehemiah. I've entitled the study, Under the Influence of Others. It's interesting to me because when I started on this whole God's promises kind of series and 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 just train of thought i thought that the holy spirit was going to be giving me you know a whole feel good thing about how many promises god has and it was just always going to be an uplifting you know message that 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 was going to encourage everybody and just bless everybody and just so such an encouraging way in the way that i thought it was going to be and and Sometimes God gives us an idea, and when we try and get our own little religious way of thinking into stuff, we end up missing the Lord and missing what his real purpose is. And I think that over the last few weeks when we started with the God's promises thing, what we've really learned is how to get ourselves spiritually ready to receive God's promises. We've talked a lot about, you know, about listening, about reading, about um, you know, not walking in fear, taking God at his word. We, we went through Job and we looked at how that stuff applies to our faith walk. And tonight we're going to go through the book of Nehemiah. We're going to jump through the book. We're going to uh, hang out pretty much in the first seven chapters. We've got a lot to cover, uh, but uh, uh, I've uh, got a great uh, partner with me tonight. My son Michael is, is visiting with us. And Michael is going to uh, be reading the scripture tonight for us as, uh, uh, as I, I go through. And in your notes, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, I would suggest that you really get the notes to this podcast because there's some interesting kind of sidetracks that we may or may not touch on depending on where the conversation goes. You look at the amount of notes and stuff that we have for these things, and, and this is just an outline. <laughs> I know that sounds weird. But this is an outline. Um, I I don't have anything practiced uh, that we're going to go over tonight. I don't believe in doing that. I really believe in allowing the Holy Spirit to move and just letting it flow. And and tonight is not going to be so much of a a preaching, but really a teaching in how we are looking at a guy named Nehemiah. Okay, and Nehemiah, this, this book of Nehemiah took took place in over the 20-year period of 445 B.C. to 425 B.C. I always get confused with that because when you're going B.C., you're counting backwards. So it's kind of freaky. 
you know, here we, you know, 2001, 2002, 2003. In, in that time, it would be, you know, this year's 2008. Well, next year would be 2007. Those of you that are, that are, are familiar with, uh, with the book of Malachi, Malachi was also a prophet at the time. And he, a lot of the same sins that were covered uh, in the book of Nehemiah uh, that were going on with the, uh, with the, uh, the nation of Israel at the time, uh, were covered as well in the book of Malachi. It took place in a period of time right after, uh, right after Jerusalem was conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, this is, this is after, uh, this is after David, after Solomon. The guys that followed David and Solomon were just not followers of God. They broke God's laws. And this was a constant problem with the nation of Israel because they just didn't listen. They would not listen. And because they wouldn't listen and because they were so bullheaded, they would not lean on God's grace. They, would, they were totally, you know, dealing with the law. And Jesus said that the letter of the law kills. In verse 1, the word of Nehemiah, the son of Halakia. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital. Now Susa was the capital of the Persian Empire at the time. And these were months in the Jewish calendar. Make, make note or look in your notes and you'll see because the time period of this month is important going on. So now I'm going to stop reading with my broken reading here and, uh, and pass it on to a, uh, a college student uh, who can read much better than I. So, uh, Michael, why don't you take us, uh, take us starting at verse 2. That Hanani, one of my brothers and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had, had survived the captivity, and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken, and its gates are burned with fire. So what happened was after, after Nebuchadnezzar took over, he basically captured the whole nation of Israel, but some people escaped, and they were just kind of living, kind of reclusive, wherever they could. But, but at that point, I don't know if you remember, uh, or if you've studied, but there was a, uh, the temple was broken down. Nebuchadnezzar had the, the, uh, the, the palace burned down, the king's palace burned down. I mean, he just burned the whole city down. And you'll remember that Nebuchadnezzar, you can read a lot about Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. And later here in the book of Nehemiah, I actually saw the name Daniel and I was discussing before the Bible study. I wonder if, if it's the actual Daniel uh, that was a, a part of this whole Nebuchadnezzar clique that was going on. This is all around the same period of time. I'm not, a, I'm not enough of a historian to know exactly the dates. But um, all of this had to do with the, the, the you know, the, the whole, the whole captivity. And there was a remnant or a small part of the people who had escaped. And so now Nehemiah's got a, a you know, he's, he's starting to see the condition of this remnant. You know, recently we were out with some folks, my wife and I, and we were enjoying, uh, some time with them. And, and, and it was a, it was a great time, uh, with these folks. They don't know the Lord. And we were saying, you know, it's so sad that they don't know the Lord because these are some of the nicest people 
we've ever met. I mean, do you know people like that, that you just, you see them and they're just so kind and they're so wonderful, yet they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And it's really sad because you want to reach out to those people and, and say to them, hey, do you know about Jesus? Do you know about eternal life? And it's very difficult. I mean, when you've got a guy or a gal who's not living right or, or doing things that they're not supposed to or, or what have you, it's very easy to sit down with them when they're ready to listen and say, well, you used to do this and you used to do that and you used to do the other. But what about people that are really nice? How do you, how do you win them? How do you minister to them? And that's been a burden on my wife's and my heart for the last few days is we saw these folks and they're just so kind. You know, you can't imagine, I mean, how you, do you know that you're a sinner? Well, point out some sin, man. I don't know. You thought wrong thoughts. I don't, I don't know. Because these people were just always have a kind word, always have a nice thing to say, always have a, a, a wonderful word for my wife and for my kids and, and just always bring light and joy into our home when they come to visit. Um, it's just a wonderful group of people, but they're, they're unsaved, which is why I really don't know how to necessarily minister to them. And that's where, when we have a burden for folks, uh, that's when we really need to get before the Lord and, and, and say, Lord, teach us. I mean, you know, and that's what happened with Nehemiah here. He heard about the remnant. He found that they had, you know, that they were in great distress. He was not exactly a free man himself. The Jews at the time were slaves. They had it even worse, the remnant that was left. So he had a burden. And let's see what he did what, what, uh, in verse 4. Now it came about when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He began to intercede. Interceding uh, is praying on behalf of somebody. You ever, you ever seen somebody who you just have a burden for them, where you just really feel that you need to pray for them? And, you know, either you know that they're lost or they're in error or they're something. I mean, you know, but, but you just feel led to pray for somebody. And I'm not talking about, oh God, just make them have a better day or whatever, but you really just get that feeling, that, that gut-wrenching feeling that you got to lay out and, you know, get on your knees before the Lord and weep and pray and just ask God to deliver this person from this or that or to change a circumstance in somebody's life. And this is what, what he was, what he was talking about here. Now, it came to pass when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And of course, you know me, I always like to look at the colon. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He was fasting and praying before he even got started. Just, Lord, just, just hear my cry, you know? Hear my cry. And how do we, how do we start interceding? Well, the model of prayer, a prayer of intercession begins with praise and worship. Don't get me wrong. When you wake up in the morning, you're just, good morning, Lord, bless your holy name, you know, and I praise you, I thank you. That's a form of praise and worship, and it's kind of a lighter-hearted, familiar, you know, hey, God, how are you this morning? Praise you. It's wonderful to be there. This is more of a heartfelt Lord, creator of the universe. I bless your name. This is a, a heart-wrenching, you know, really deep felt prayer. So go ahead and uh, go to uh, verse 5 and 6. 
And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servants which I am praying before thee now, day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel which we have sinned against thee. I and my father's house have sinned. So you see... What does he do? He comes in blessing God, acknowledging who God is, acknowledging God's greatness, and then getting to the point of saying, you know, God, before I even bring my supplication to you, we got some business to take care of. Sometimes the Lord will have you pray for people that are in such bondage that they can't pray for themselves. This is what we call standing in the gap for people. And we do this for ourselves, of course, those of, uh, those of us that have gone through deliverance or performed self-deliverance to break uh, generations' curses and, and things of that nature, which we've talked about in other studies. We, we stand in the gap for our ancestors. We repent for our ancestors' sin. And here is one of the places where we see that example in the Bible, because it's not just him he's praying for. He's praying for the sin of his forefathers, you see. People sit there and say, well, no, 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 there's no such thing as generations curses. You can't stand in the gap for other people. Then what is this? What are we seeing here? What we're seeing here is an example of a man who got a burden on his heart for a group of people who that whole group of people are in sin. You know, this brings to mind places like in South America, South and Central America, where Santeria is very, very big. Places like Haiti, where voodoo is just enormous. Places like India, you understand, where there's such poverty in Africa. And and it, it may sound cruel, But the fact is that the blessing is not on many of those nations because of who they're worshiping, you see? And that's why we're called to pray for the nations. As believers, some of us are are in such trouble sometimes that we can't can't pray past our own situations. And and that's understandable, and that's, that's when we first either get saved or we've been walking a compromised faith walk where Jesus is kind of, you know, uh, Savior but not Lord of our lives and we finally get serious about our faith walk, you know, we, we, we spend a great deal of time, well, Lord, help me get out of this. Father, help me get out of that. I repent of this. And God is really taking us to task and working in us to bring us to a place where we can be used as instruments, Okay, and we've talked about that before when we studied the book of Joshua. God does things for us, then he does things with us, then he does things through us. And that for, with, through process takes place almost constantly in your faith walk. There are some things that God does for you, there are some things that God does with you, and there are some things that God does through you. And, and this happens on a daily basis. This happens all the time as, as your faith walk matures, as you mature in your faith walk in different areas, then God moves you from, okay, I'm not going to do that for you anymore. Now I'm going to do that with you. And then, well, now I've got a purpose in this that I used to do with you. Now I'm going to do it through you. Where at first, when you first got saved, God would do some stuff for you wow, you know, I got saved last week and, and I feel better. I, I feel lighter. I feel like I've been lifted, a, a burden's been lifted off my shoulders. I feel, and that's what God did for you. 
But then God starts to reveal the issues in your life and the, the things that, that you need to let go. The Holy Spirit's perfect, gentlemen, folks. If you don't let go of something to the Holy Spirit, he'll never take it. God will never rip anything out of your hand. So this is why we are, as Christians, we're to hold on to things loosely. Because we really want to be able to relinquish it. Anytime Jesus says, hey, 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 give me that, give me that. I I don't necessarily want you to have that. We're not to hold on to it and say, no, mine, mine. I got a two-year-old daughter. Mine, mine. (laughs) You know, as we grow in the Lord, we're to let go and, and say, okay, well, if you don't want this for me, Lord, then that's fine. So here we're, we're seeing a matured believer in God praying and now he's moving from the praise and worship area to the confession of sins. So go ahead and uh, read verse 7. We have acted very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which thou didst command thy servant Moses. So you see here, here he's confessing the sin. Didn't Jesus say, confess your sins to one another? The reason that he was, uh, we, we confess to one another is, of course, for, for, for a couple of reasons. We do it so that we can have, of course, someone that's accountable. If you have a sin in your life, the best thing to do is find somebody you really, really, really trust. And confess that sin to them. Say, you know, I have a problem in this area. I have a problem with gossip or I have a problem with eating too much. And, and eating too much is a sin. I have a problem with cursing or I have a problem with, uh, with anger or I have a problem with, it could be more serious. I have a problem with alcoholism. I have a problem with pornography. Some sort of a problem that I need you as a brother or sister in Christ to hold me in accountability. Uh, I'll never forget, I used to be part of a men's accountability group. And, and as part of that men's accountability group, um, I travel a lot for my business. So I would find myself, I would find myself in hotels uh, a great deal. And, and I'd be on my, on my trip and I'd get a call from one of the brothers in the group and be like, hey Mikey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just chilling out in my room, you know, whatever. Did you go down to the bar today? No. You sure? Yeah. Talk to any women today? See, because these guys know that when I was in the world, you know, I would, you know, I would hang out at bars from time to time and, you know, and go and talk to women and this and that and the other. And they're just making sure, you know, the, the people say, well, am I my brother's keeper? You betcha. That doesn't mean that you go out and you, you know, you do that whole Christian thing of, well, so-and-so, you know, so-and-so's got a problem. We got to pray for them. And then you lay out their entire problem. That's gossip. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about finding a brother or sister that you can really trust, that you, that you know that no matter what happens, your, your confidence is never going to be broken with that person. And they're going to understand and they're going to carry you through it and they're going to pray you through it. And when you fall, they're going to be that voice and hand of reason that's going to reach out to you and say, well, brother or sister, let, let's pray through that. Let's, let's get you to a place where you're back in relationship with God. The beginning of that is leading someone to confessing their sin, not only to another individual, but showing them how to confess their sin to God, to to teach them that God is full of grace. Paul said where there's an abundance of sin, there more is there an abundance of grace. Does that mean we should just go out and sin, you know, for the heck of it? Of course not. 
But we are supposed to understand that when we fall, God can't do anything with somebody who's lying on their face or somebody who's flat on their back because they fell due to sin. God can't work with that person. God needs you to understand that his grace will cover a multitude of sins. And as we've, as we've spoken before about, there's a big difference between sin and trespasses, which trespasses are a lifestyle of sin. Amen? So this is why he is confessing the sins and, and laying them out so that God can understand that he knows. Which brings me to the point, of course, of, well, people would say, well, yeah, but God already knows this stuff. Well, then why would God ask you to remind him of his word? It's, it's like the, the people that say, well, God is putting me through a test right now. Well, yeah, God is putting you through a test, but it's not so he can see. God knew what you were going to do, folks, from before the earth was ever created. God knew the, the number of hairs on your head, how long you were going to live, what mistakes you, know, you were going to do, how you were going to do this or how you were going to do that, and he saved you anyway. So when God asks you to confess your sin, it's so that you understand where you're at. When God asks you to remind him of his word, it's so that you know what his word is. Because, see, the word of God brings life to us. The word of God is like, the, is like meat or food to us. Jesus said, a man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God, which is the word. Okay? And Jesus was the word, and Jesus also was the bread of life. You see? So, basically... What God wants you to remind him of his word, he just wants to make sure you know it. Why? Well, sometimes, sometimes God likes to play a little game of hide and seek with us. Remember when you, when you had little kids and you, you, know, you used to hide from them? And they'd be, daddy, daddy, mommy, mommy. And you'd finally, you'd jump out and they'd be, oh, there you are. But for a little while, they would be kind of concerned about where was mommy, where was daddy. The Lord does that with us sometimes because he wants us to grow in, in not, not, that, not to be not used to him being there with us all the time, but God wants us to interact with him. He wants us to be, while we're submitted, he also wants us to be able to be connected. He doesn't want to drag us everywhere we're going. When you're, when you're a, an early Christian, God is taking you most of the places where you're going to go and just making it happen. As you, as you become more mature in the Lord, you know, he, he kind of backs off a little bit and says, well, you, you know the ropes, dude. You know my word. You know, or you should know my word by this point. You, you should know what I, what I want you to do. You have a relationship with me. You should be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and he's the helper, he's the spirit of truth, you know, he's going to witness to you what you need to do. So go forward and do it. Now, if you need me, I'm going to be right here. You see, but God wants us to get to a point of being interdependent on him. And maybe that's not an English word, but it, it, it works for me. Because we are dependent on God for everything, but he wants us to interact with him. So interdependent works, I guess, for me as, as, well, as, as well as anything. So here, Nehemiah now is going to remind God of his word and what, what promises he's made to the nation of Israel. Remember the word which thou didst command thy servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. 
But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. And they are thy servants and thy people whom thou didst redeem and thy great power and by thy strong hand. So you see, he's reminding the Lord of what he said back in, uh, in the time of Joshua and Moses. And, and again, God likes to hear that stuff. He likes to know that you're spending time in the word. And that word is going to empower us. You see, and what all this does, well, what it pleases God. You dads or, or moms, don't you feel good when you have a child and, you know, that you've, you've, you know, you've worked with that child since he was a baby. You've, you've tried to do your best. And I, I tell people that raising a child is, is not something that you see the fruits of it right away. I mean, I have my son with me tonight. I, I had no idea where he was going to be. I had no idea uh, what school he was going to attend. I just nurtured him. I trained him as best I could. I gave him, I, I gave him the wisdom that, that I felt that I, that I could. And I'm blessed when I see that he's going to school, that he's doing the, the things that I taught him to do. And, it, and it's funny to hear the very teachings that I taught him when he was five years old, six years old, eight years old, ten years old. Hear them now that he's a young man. It's a blessing to me. It makes me feel good to know that my son had his ear attuned to what I wanted for him to learn. And that's the same way that God wants to have a relationship with us. When we come to God and we want God to do something for us, we want God to recognize that we are dedicated to him and we are trying to seek his will in a situation and we do realize that we've messed up, that we've, 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 uh, we, we've made a mistake or we're coming to him on behalf of those who have Okay, we come to him with praise and worship. We come to him with with thanksgiving. We come to him with confession of the sin. And then we come to him reminding him of his word. And here, letter D, restoration. Restoration of relationship. Now that that's the, the scripture says if you if you confess your sin, God is quick to forgive you of your sin. Once we, we've done all that, now we're, we're restored. Now we're getting to what Nehemiah is really coming to God about, which if you remember is the situation that he saw Israel get into and understanding that Israel's a situation of its own making. But Nehemiah now has stood in the gap for them and now he's going to ask God to do something for him in verse 11. O Lord, I beseech thee, may thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name and make thy servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Wow. <laughs> Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. So now look at, look at how God took this guy who had been with the king for 20 years. Okay, because this book, this book was, uh, this was in the 20th year of the king's serving. Okay, so I'm assuming he'd been with the king for, for quite some time here. And he was the king's cupbearer. This is the guy, the, the cupbearer is the one that, uh, that whenever they would bring the king some wine, he would drink it first. And just in case somebody decided to come and poison the king. So the king would be chilling out, having, hey, give me a glass of wine. And he'd be, no, no, you can't drink that. 
Wait, come here. Mm, I like that. That's good stuff, King. You got to have some of this. And so obviously, him and the king have created a really nice relationship. I would imagine that that it's a uh, it's a very personable relationship because obviously kings like to drink wine. And so let's let's go on to uh, chapter two, verse one. And it came about in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, that the wine was before him, and I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Now here the the. The month Nisan. This is the seventh month of the year. God gave him favor when he started getting this burden. It was what, November or so? It was between November and December, the notes say. Okay. This is now we're approaching harvest time. Okay. We're approaching, uh, the, this is in the, 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 the months of, uh, of March and, and, and April. Uh, this is a, this is a, a time where people bring in their first fruits. So, Obviously, God has laid it on on the king's heart, which is what's coming up here, to ask him what's going on at a very opportune moment. The king is, you know, first fruits time, man. The king's in a good mood. He's drinking wine. He's got, you know, the, the, his whole kingdom is giving him their first fruits. They're paying homage to the king. They're, they're sending in their taxes. It's, it's, you know, it's April 15th, man. It's time for the king to get paid. So, He's happy. He's feeling good. And when you feel good, you look around and you immediately notice when people around you are upset or when they're sad. And that's exactly what happened here in verse 2. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, What would you request? So I prayed to the Lord God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. So as you see, the king said to him, Hey, what, what's wrong, man? You, you look pretty sad. Did you have a sip of something that wasn't sitting right in your tummy? He's a very wise man. He says, you know, let the king live forever. <laughs> you know, and he approaches, he approaches the king as he did God, with respect, you see. And he said, I'm, I'm upset. And the king said, well, come here, man, T- talk to me. What, what is it that you need? The queen was there. So again, the, the king is feeling in a, in a pretty giving mood here. He, he's got, uh, he's got the, the, the queen sitting there, and we're, we're talking. And, and he said, well, I've got this burden. You know that, that place over there, the, 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 my people, the, the Jewish people, they are, they're having a, a problem. And I really feel led to go over there and see if there's anything I can do to try and rebuild that city. You see, and he finds favor with the king. The king says, well, how long are you going to be, man? I mean, are you going to, are you going to be back soon? Or are you going to, are we going to write you off? And you got to remember that this in itself is incredible because the Jews at that time were in bondage. They were captured. They were in the captivity. Okay, so for a king to even consider Letting this guy come back, say, hey, listen, I, 
I want to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. I want to go back and try and rebuild the city that we're from. I mean, if, if, if this king were a scaredy cat, if this king were the type of king that was concerned, the nation of Israel was a very strong nation. You know, they, they, they had God on their side. They, they really went in and they, they, they kicked some holy tail, man. I mean, they went in and they would pillage everything. So, of course, the king is going to look at this situation and say, wow, do I, do I really want to let this guy go back and build, uh, build a city that could come back and bite me later? And he decided that, I think because God gave him favor, to send out a party to do this. In 457 BC, he sent Ezra out to lead an expedition of Jews back to Jerusalem. Okay. And for the basically for the the, uh, the the rebuilding of it. Okay, and he gave them their blessing. So let's let's go forward um, start at verse 7 and let's go forward and see exactly what the what what else the king did because God doesn't just give you a little bit of favor. When God gives you favor, you're going to see here that I mean he it just keeps going. It's like the 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 the, the bunny it just keeps going and going and going. I mean, this is amazing. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house which I will go. And the king granted them to me because of the good hand of my God was on me. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. And when it came that Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite I heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So you see, when God gives you favor... God really gives you favor, man. And, and, and not only does God give you favor, but notice how he said that he was scared first. What was he scared of? He wasn't scared that the king was going to have his head cut off. I think he was scared. He was like, oh man, I can't believe this. The, what, I've, what I've been praying for, it seems like it's about to happen. Oh Lord, you know, what is it? That's why when, when, he, when he said, well, what would you what do you want? And he said, well, and I prayed to God. And I'm sure God said, well, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you favor with this guy. Ask him for everything. I mean, not only did he have the audacity to ask him if he could go back and rebuild his city, but then he said, hey, man, can you give me letters so I can get through? And then on top of that, he said, and by the way, while you're at it, while you're feeling real, real uh, giving king, would you give me all the materials to rebuild this city? I mean, w- would you do that for me, king? And the king said, sure. So as you see here in verse 10, here's where the problem begins. Here's where people are starting to see what this guy wants to do. You know, they don't see it yet, but they already hear, oh, I hear that so-and-so is starting this thing, and, you know, and oh, man, you know, and and he's going to come, and he's going to change things, and look at him. Who is he to be doing this stuff? So immediately the tongues start to wag. You know, but hey, he he knows. He knows what God has called him to do. And this is where we start talking about what we're here for our study tonight, which is being influenced by other people. So here we're going to start to see 
how our lives parallel with Nehemiah's life. Because God has given each and every person a vision, a dream, a goal. And it's individual for each one of us. And of course, many of the challenges that he faced here, we face in our everyday lives when God gives us a goal or God gives us a purpose or God gives us a calling. No matter what, you're not going to just get a calling from God and it's going to go silky smooth, baby. You're just going to go straight through and it's just me and Jesus and that's it. And it's going to be cool and nothing's going to come against me. And oh no, when God gives you an assignment, Jesus, I I was talking to somebody uh, uh, last week and they said to me, well, you know, Jesus is love and, you know, love is all about unity. That's not what my Bible says. Jesus said, I came to divide. You guys know that? Jesus said, I came to divide. Mother against daughter, father against son. Okay, so don't believe for a minute that Jesus came so that you could just, well, let's all just get along. I know that you're, you're walking a compromised faith walk, uh, you know, and I know that you're not living right, but for the sake of peace, I'm not going to point that out to you because I just don't want to be a bad Christian. I don't want to be an unloving Christian. You know what? The scripture says to give them the truth and love, but the main focus is to give them the truth, you see? So be careful who you share your vision with. Be careful who you share what God has called you to do with because then you're going to have to deal with the fallout. You know, you can't always share Everything God tells you with everybody. Okay, and you're going to see that here. Let's go on to verse 12. And I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem, and there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. Now, at that time, I mean, remember, this is a, a, a dangerous place, right? He doesn't want to take a bunch of guys with him. He brought soldiers with him and everything. From The king gave him soldiers to come with him so that he wouldn't have any trouble. But he gets to Jerusalem and he sees that it's a mess. I mean, it, and, you know, but he wants to go look at the whole deal, you know. So Nehemiah surveys the area. He says, wow, this is bad, man. This is really messed up. But God is laying on his heart to rebuild this city. So he's riding around at night. Can you just picture this guy on his horse late at night, you know, in the middle of the night, riding around, checking out everything. And he is about to uh, to bring up what he's dealing with. And, uh, and he's going to share it with the people. And the way that we first do that is when you, have you ever seen, a, or has God ever laid on your heart to deal to deal with a situation and you just see it as so huge. And then you you know you've got these Christians that say well, well don't 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 confess negatively over it or the thing you fear the most is going to come upon you. That that's not exactly correct. If you sit there and you have a negative attitude and stinking thinking and stuff, I I I definitely think that that's going to adversely affect the situation and and your ability to pray faithfully uh through it. However, we are to acknowledge the problem. If you're deep in debt and you're considering God to take you out of it, you need to say, you know what? I've made some financial mistakes along the way, but I know that God is going to take me out of it. You know, I've, I've been divorced in my life and I've not known how to treat women in my life, but you know what? I'm remarried now and I'm a Christian now and God is teaching me how to treat women and I know that my God is going to teach me the right way to deal with my current marriage and God is going to teach me the way to, you know, perhaps be a better father. I haven't been a godly father to my children in the past, 
But now God is going to teach me how to do that. See, we acknowledge the problem. There's no problem with acknowledging the problem. But don't forget to also acknowledge the solution to that problem. Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are burned by fire? Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be at reproach. He says, yeah, we've got a problem. <laughs> let's, let's, let's look at this problem. We need to build this. I mean, look at all these places. We were once a powerful people. God has, God has laid it on my heart to rebuild this city, but I can't do it alone. Here, Nehemiah is being a motivational speaker. He's calling people to, to say, hey, do you want to do this? God's given me a vision. Give God the glory because God is the solution to the problem. And here in verse 18, Nehemiah, he admits that. And I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. So you see here that, that, that basically he gave God the glory. He explained to them, hey, you know, this isn't just something. I didn't just wake up in the middle of the night. I mean, the fact, and, and just come over here and, and escape from the king. And you see, he sent me over here. He sent me here with horses. He sent me here with letters. I, I've got, look at these letters, folks. I've got, I've got, I've got acknowledgement from the king to talk to the, uh, the, surrounding, uh, the surrounding rulers around here to get materials to build. We found favor. Our God has given us favor. We have reproach no longer. Remember, we sinned at one point. I've stood in the gap for our, uh, our people. And now God has given us favor. But of course, there's always that person. Are you sure that's what God said for you to do? You know, are you sure that God spoke to you? Are you sure that God gave you that vision? And you know what, folks? If you're not steadfast on what God told you to do, other people will actually put you in a position where you will question what God actually said. This is why we need to be careful of who we share our visions with. People in the world, they mean well, but they're kind of like a radio that's tuned into every station and they'll play anything. So you need to know how to distinguish those voices, and they will come in many different forms. Okay, and and here in the in the uh, in the story in verse nineteen we see this very thing going on. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us, saying, "What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king?" I see. This brings me to a very interesting point here because who do we see here? We actually see an Arab, okay, having problems with what the Jews are doing. You guys thought that the situation that's going on in the Middle East just started last week or after 9-11? This has been going on. This is, we're talking, we're talking thousands and thousands of years ago, folks. We're talking 500 some odd years before Christ, Okay, this has been going on for years and years and years. And the United States actually has the audacity to think that they're going to get involved in this thing and settle it in a year or two or three? I don't think so. Okay, but that's, that's my last political announcement for the, uh, for the evening. The Arabs were opposing and saying, oh, so you really think you're going to do this? It's, you're, you're not doing that. You're, we're going to make up stories about you. You're actually going to rebel against the king. The king's a sucker for sending you out here, but don't worry. We're going to inform him of what you're doing. Now, if you answer 
when somebody says to you, well, you know, that, that thing that you said was from God, it, it doesn't look like it's from God because of this or that or the other. Or, you know, God, God called me to go to this job. Really? I, I can't see where God would call you to go to that job. Well, he really did. Well, really? How much do you get paid at that job? Oh, you're, you're worth more than that. You don't, you don't get paid enough to do that job. God would never call you to that. Well, how do you know? Well, because I know. I mean, God would never put you at a lower pay scale. God would never do this. And God, would, do, You ever notice that when God gives you a vision, everybody else around you tells you what God would or would never do? Oh, you know, I feel that this is the person that God put in my life to marry. Really? God wouldn't do that. <laughs> really? How do you know that? Do, do you have a line to God that I don't? You know, so, so maybe I've been hearing God clearly in my faith walk for the last God knows how many years, but now all of a sudden that God really gave me something steadfast and the enemy wants to take my blessing. Now all of a sudden you've got a better connection to the Lord than I do? I don't think so. But if you do answer such silly, ridiculous accusations or statements, which quite candidly, I don't have time for people like that. I just kind of turn my back and keep on walking. Um, sometimes it just, it's better to ignore people than to fight or to, or to defend your position and just say, you know what? We're, we're not on the same page, you and I. I appreciate your concern, but we're not on the same page. And that's it. And just move on. But if you do answer, give God the glory. Look what he says in verse 20. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, right or memorial, in Jerusalem. So you see, he gave God the glory. Whenever somebody comes to question, and especially if they come all spiritual, oh, brother, you know, I, I don't know, brother, that just doesn't seem like godly to me. And you know that you know that you know that God called you to do something. Just point them back at God. We'll say, you know what, brother? You know what, sister? You just need to pray for me. If, if I'm not hearing right, then tell you what. I really believe I heard from God, and I want to stick to that because I really want God to be the provider of my information. Oh, but in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Well, yeah, but that mouth or two or three witnesses thing, that's usually for people that have a hard time hearing from God to begin with. I don't. I really believe that I hear from God. So, if you really think that I'm in error, if you really think I'm in the wrong relationship, or if you really think that, you know, that I'm in the wrong job, or that I've, you know, I've done something wrong with my kids, or, or whatever, please pray for me. Pray for me. If, if someone is praying for you the right way, hey, an extra prayer, a layer of prayer on your life, that can't hurt. There's nothing wrong with that. Notice in chapter 3, though, how God gave Nehemiah so much favor. Look at all the different people. <laughs> that I mean, you've got a whole chapter full of people that took part in the rebuilding. Isn't that amazing? You know, but when, when people can't discourage you from the vision, then they mock you. You know, that, I mean, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> you're not going to do that, man. You're a sucker. You're a nobody too. And then they tell each other, you know, did, did, you, see, did you see how, uh, uh, you know, how, how, how Mikey said he had a vision from God to do this or that? Or did you see how Leo said that, that God was going to turn this around? Or Sean said he was going to get a, you know, a good job doing this and that? And do you believe that? I mean, they're dependent. Look at him. He's sitting at home reading his Bible. And he's, he's going to church on Sunday. And, he, and he's worshiping. And, and he's praising God. He thinks that that's what's going to get him a job. He thinks that's what's going to change his life. He thinks that's what's going to make things better for him. Isn't that silly? So they start to mock you. And that's exactly what they did here to Nehemiah in chapter 4 verse 1. 
Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. And not only do they do it by themselves, but then they go on, they get other people, you know, and they convince them. It's very easy. The world is always out there to copy. You know, the scripture says you're individually and wonderfully made. That means that no two of us are the same. Everybody here, God has an exact different purpose for each and every person here, for each and every person listening to this teaching. Okay, but the world, on the other hand, the world is always trying to be like that guy. Oh, who's the latest Hollywood model? Who's the, who's the biggest person in Hollywood? Who's the most famous model or movie star or person that I can imitate? Because, of course, if I copy them, then I'm going to live a life like them. Well, besides the fact that that's a lie... It's, it's not original, and God likes originals. God is an original God. The scripture says, for today I'm doing a new thing. And that new thing is new in each and every one of us. We may all walk with Jesus. We all may all get saved, okay? And we may all be saved at the end. And Jesus may say to all of us, good job, good, well done, good and faithful servant. But the similarities end there. I mean, God will do unique things with you that he may not do with me or do unique things with me that will not work with you. For example, how did you get saved? I was sitting at a table in November of 1995 and the room just kind of disappeared. And I, I literally had a Damascus Road experience. How did you get saved? How did God reach out to you? Did he reach out to you through someone you respected? Did he reach out? God knew my heart was so hard and I was so antisocial at that time. I wouldn't listen to anybody. God loved me so much that he gave me an opportunity to be in his presence. It was the most exhilarating and terrifying experience of my life. Now, how did he reach out to you? How has God touched you in your life? And it's unique, you see? So everybody here is an original. Everybody here has a personal relationship with God, an individual relationship with God. Your relationship with God is nothing like my relationship with God, except for the fact that he loves us. That's the only similarity in it, is that he loves you and he loves me. But my relationship with my kids, I have five kids, and my relationship with each and every one of them is different. Some of them are into art. My daughter's into photography and, 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 uh, and that kind of thing. My oldest son who's here today is into computers. My other one is into gaming and, and computers. My two little girls, well, they're into little bunny foo-foo, and they're into dollies and, and that kind of thing. So I, I meet all my kids at, at, at different levels and talk to them and have a personal relationship with each one of them. And then I have a personal relationship with my wife, which is different than my relationship with every one of them. So you see, my relationship relationships are all individual, just as God's are. But here, when the world isn't happy with the fact that you feel that you have an individual calling from God, and they can't beat you down by themselves, well, then they go out and they try and make sure that you find, that they find other people, that they find other quote-unquote caring friends of yours that really have your best interest at heart, you know, or maybe they don't, to give you their opinion on what God's vision that he's given you is to them as for in how it pertains to you. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? 
Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? This is written, of course, in, in, in kind of Jewish prose. You know, what you're dealing with is, can they do this? Can they do that? You know, it's, a, it's, like, uh, it's like being Italian. You ever notice Italians ask questions for them? What are you kidding me? What am I, crazy? You doing all right? <laughs> you know, there's all, it's always a question mark at the end. Jews seem to be the same way. What are they going to do? Are they going to do this? Are they going to do that? I mean, now they're actually questioning the ability of these guys. And really what they're doing, the Jews had a, a, a reputation in that era of being a very strong people who were following the God, the very strong God of Israel, that when the God of Israel got you in his sights, you were through, man. It was, it was done. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, Even what they are building, <laughs> if a fox were to jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. So you see, now they're jeering. Now they're making jokes. I mean, if a fox <laughs> were to jump on the wall, it would fall. So now they're, they're really scorning your vision. What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do when somebody really just tears your vision apart, when somebody really discourages you and makes you feel about this tall, makes you feel that, man, is this job I took the right one? Is, is this move I've made to this new city the right one? Is this person I've chosen to marry the right one? What are you supposed to do? And when you realize that really what their purpose is, is that misery enjoys company, what are you supposed to do? Well, Jesus said it best. He said, you're to pray for your enemies. How should you respond? Just pray for them. This is a model prayer for enemies right here in verse 4 and 5. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return the reproach on their own heads and give them up for the plunder in the land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized the builders. In other words, sick them, God. Go get them. You do it because... I'm not going to do this. You gave me this vision. This is your vision. I'm not going to interact with these people and allow them to discourage me from what you've called me to do. I'm going to stand on your word that says the battle is the Lord's. You take care of it for me. Don't, don't just forget it though because these people are bothering me every day, man. I mean, it's every day that they're tormenting me with this type of thing. And God will deal with people. Either he will remove them in such a way where you won't interact with them anymore. Sometimes he'll, he'll allow them to just have a fight with you. We have relationships and we have friendships, even as Christians. And we want to be good Christians. We don't want to get in fights with people. We don't want to get in arguments with people. And sometimes God says, you know what? This relationship that you have with this individual, it's gone far enough. I don't want this anymore. And if you are trying to be a quote unquote good Christian and not start up any trouble or not, not create, I'm just going to destroy this relationship. And what the Lord actually does is turns the heart of that person against you and hardens that person's heart. Very similar to what he did to Pharaoh. Um, and when, uh, in, in the book of Exodus, he will harden that person's heart against you so that you will not have favor with that individual any longer. And they'll just say, you know what? I don't want to deal with you anymore. And at the same time as you're like, well, what did I do? You're kind of rejoicing on the inside. We'll say, well, thank you, Jesus, because they kept talking about what you told me to do. And this, and, that, and I, you know, and, and at the same time as you're kind of hurt because the, the relationship kind of ended on a bad note. At the same time, you just walk and you just feel you got this burden lifted off your shoulders, you know, because God finally made a way for you to get out of this destructive relationship. But. Now, what about the people that are telling you all these things, 
but they're looking and no matter what happens, no matter how much negativity they throw at it, everything that you say is going to happen, we're going to build the walls of Jerusalem. We're going to build this place back up to be the glorious place that it was before. We're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to reinstate our sacrifices every day. We're going to do all the, we're going to celebrate all of our Jewish uh, feasts and holy days all over again. What happens? Well, then they get angry. Now it came about when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and the breaches began to be closed. They were very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. Well, how, how do you deal with this? Now you've gone and, and made them mad, and now they feel that, uh-oh, you know, these Israelites are back. They're the ones that, that marched around. Remember that story, guys, about marching around the city of Jericho seven times and blowing the horns and the walls fell? And No, those guys, they're all back. Because notice, more people, every time, now they're, they're going out and they're spreading the word around, the, around the, 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 the country. Hey, the Jews are back. The Jews are back. So what are you supposed to do? Well, of course, you're supposed to pray first. Pray in the Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to give you direction. But that's not all you're supposed to do. You need to protect yourself as well. If you feel that you are in physical danger, of something. If you're out in the mission field, if you're, you know, and you're out in another country and you're preaching the gospel, you're ministering to people and you're in a place where you know that Christians aren't highly favored, are you supposed to, you know, just scream your beliefs at the top of your voice and 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 not have any regard? I'll tell you, you know, there there's this, the Bible says to be wise as as serpents and gentle as doves. <laughs> and a serpent wouldn't go screaming stuff at the top of his voice in a, in a country that, you know, lops Christians' heads off. You know, so you be very, very careful in the natural while you're still doing what God called you to do. Verse 9, but we prayed to our God. So that's the first thing that we're supposed to do is we're supposed to pray. When we feel in danger, we're not supposed to cry and hide under the bed. We're supposed to pray. Okay? And because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. So we, we're supposed to set up a guard. We're supposed to take care of things in the natural but we're not supposed to walk in fear. You're not supposed to be afraid because when you walk in fear, you're not walking in faith. Faith is the opposite of fear. Fear basically is negative faith. <laughs> it takes just as much faith to be fearful as it does faith to believe in that God is, 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 is calling you to do something and to walk in it. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So basically he acknowledged God. Hey, listen, I know you're afraid, but watch, God is going to do something awesome. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan. Then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. 
Now their, their, their grand plan of everybody attacking Jerusalem at the time basically foiled again. So they go back, oh man, you know, they, they realized that they prayed to their God and, and their God revealed what we were going to do and made it clear to them. And now they're, they're all fortified, they're protected. In verse 18, it, it basically talks about that they would build with one hand and, you know, and, and carry a weapon in the other. They would work with their building the walls with their swords by their side. I, I look at this as kind of the way that we should work in our workplace. Do you bring your Bible to work with you? Do you have your sword of the Spirit by your side when you're out there working? When you're, when you're at work and you're in a position where, where you could be uh, influenced by anything? Are you wearing your sword? There's a couple of purposes a sword serves. First of all, when people see your sword, they know that you're protected they know that you have something to defend yourself with. They also understand that you have something that you depend on when times are tough. Okay, and that's the way that they should look at you with their Bible. Do people walk up to you and tell you dirty jokes? Or when you're around the office, when you're at the work site, you know, do people see you walk by and do they stop talking because they know that the conversation that they were having wouldn't be agreeable to a Christian? Or do they uh, hear about you going to church and hear that you're a Christian and go, no, man, I'd have never guessed it. I'll tell you, one of the most embarrassing moments in my life, and, and, and uh, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that this wasn't too long ago. This is uh, within the last uh, couple of years. I was, uh, I was hiring a gal at my company, and um, I had obtained a bit of a potty mouth for a while. I was talking to this girl and we were talking, and, 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 you know, I'd interviewed her probably about three times, so I had spent a good few hours with this person, um, interviewing her, training her on some of the things that we did at the company, and this and that. And at one point, I don't remember what it was that I said to her that, that I said, well, you know, I'm a Christian. And she said, really? I said, yes. She said, oh, I'd have never guessed. I just said, wow. You know, that was, that was just, that was painful. And it was because of my potty mouth. It was because I was not representing the way that a person should represent the Lord Jesus in their walk. You understand, when, if people see you jumping at shadows, if people see you worrying about the future, if people see you worried about current events, if people see you, you know, beating your wife or yelling at your kids, if you don't live and reflect Jesus Christ in your life, then people are going to say when you tell them, hey, I'm a Christian, you know, <laughs> really? I would have never guessed. In chapter 5, we have a, a situation that, that, that is pretty ugly, and it, and it really pertains to today's situation as well. Right now, the economy is not doing well. A lot of people are having problems uh, financially. I'm not talking about just to get, uh, uh, you know, a TV or to go, to go on vacation. I filled my gas tank up last week, and it was $85. One time to fill up my gas tank. And I work from home. If that is a reflection of what it is for this country at this point, with prices and everything going up, it's awful what's happening right now. To know that there are people right now taking advantage of other people's uh, problems, borrow, borrow against your paycheck stuff, 
you know, borrow against your car title. I mean, here people have worked and worked and worked to get their cars paid off, and they can't afford a gallon of gas. They can't afford to go to work. Their, their salaries don't reach far enough. Okay, so they go and they, they, they pawn off their car. They, this is a, the most horrible time. Credit card rates, I mean, the credit card epidemic in this country is so out of whack that the government is talking about regulating it. I've seen credit cards with up to 35, 36% interest for cash. If you need to go get cash, it's going to be 36% interest. If you're, if you're late on a payment, it goes from the 19% that it was originally up to 30%. And they could do this legally. Not to mention the fact that for every time you're late, they can charge you up to 50 bucks for a, for a late fee. You know, this is a, it's a horrible thing. And this is what a lot of the people in the surrounding areas, um, of Jerusalem were doing to the people that had come. A lot of people had come and, and, and said, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna put our business businesses aside for a little while or or we're going to do you know we're going to do whatever it takes to rebuild the city but the, the 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 people that had more money well they would go to them and say well how are you going to feed your family would you like me to get I'll lend you some money just give me that olive field you got over there or just give me that you know that that vineyard you have over there or, or tell you what if you uh, are indentured servant to me for the next 10 years uh, I'll give you a year to go build that uh, that Jerusalem place over there but uh, after that you come and you're, you're gonna you and your your wife and your kids you're my slaves you understand and this stuff was going on and, and Nehemiah was very very upset about it he he really tore him up in, in chapter 5 you know it shows that he was a man of integrity in verse 14, it shows where he, he became the governor of Jerusalem. Moreover, from the day that I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of King Aradaxerxes, for 12 years neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens upon the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver, even their servants domineered the people but i do not do so because of fear of god this guy went from being the king's cupbearer remember he was he was the guy who sipped the king's wine to now he's the governor of the land which i mean that's one step below the king y'all that 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 he he's basically the king's you know bill collector so it's it's to the king's advantage to allow him a certain amount of uh, of leverage over the people because you know the, these kings were used to governors that would that would rule pretty heavy-handed over the people when and it didn't change much later when for example when the romans took over jerusalem later in jesus's time king herod was a puppet king i mean yeah he was a king in title but he answered to rome and he and he collected taxes for rome and rendered those taxes onto caesar you see so this was the same thing but they would call them governors and the governors well what the governors were allotted or allowed to do is the king says well you're you're allowed to take advantage of the people this far or that far he wanted to be righteous and he wanted to do the right thing before the Lord. And Nehemiah wasn't going to take advantage of the same people that he was basically trying to get out of captivity. He had found favor and he continued to find favor. The king, obviously the king got what he wanted. He got his, he was getting his taxes for 12 years because Nehemiah was there. And I don't know what happened 12 years after that. But Nehemiah was there for 12 long happy years. 
and things were working out for him. And of course, when things are working out for you and you're doing things godly and you're trying to walk right and you're trying to be a righteous individual, you know, other people that aren't as righteous as you or aren't as submitted to the Lord as you, well, they take great angst with that. They, they try and scare you with threats. They try and, they try and say, listen, you better, you better conform to the way that, that we want you to do things or there's going to be trouble to pay. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Gashmu says, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore you are rebuilding the wall, and you are to be their king, according to these reports. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah! And now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. He had ascertained before that 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 they were trying to basically get him out of Jerusalem so they could kill him. And he was like, uh, he he tried to be nice. He didn't want to, he knew that they were trying to kill him, but he just said, listen, I, I I can't leave Jerusalem because I've got things to do here. So then they sent him this letter saying, hey, you know, you, you, you got to leave Jerusalem. You got to come and, and, and talk to us. Come and reason with us because if not, we're going to go and tattle to the king. We're going to tell him that you're going to do this, that, and thus. So they're still trying to lure him out. When somebody tells you that you're going to do something that God isn't going to like, if they bring you talking to you about authority, bring him back to authority. Then I sent a message to him saying, Such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them have been trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. You see, so basically when he ran into problems, what do you see? You see a consistent pattern in this guy here where any time that he had a problem, what would he do? He'd bring it back to God. He'd bring it back to God and he would allow God to deal with the situation. And no matter what ball was thrown at him, here in verse 10, now they, now they get religious on him. Now the, now the quote-unquote brother or sister that's hearing from the Lord. You ever found somebody that's got a prophecy for you? Oh, I got a word for you, sister. I got a word for you, brother. A word straight from the Lord. Something new that's... So what, what, what is the little religious thing that went on here? And when I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Met, Metabel, who was confined at his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you, and they are coming to kill you at night. But I said, Should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into a temple to save his life? I will not go in. Now this going into the temple thing was very significant. You basically run into the temple and you hold on to the, onto the, the, the horns of the, of the altar and you beg for mercy. You understand? So basically what this person, this brother, this well-meaning person is telling him to do is, listen, they're, they're coming to kill you, man. So run into the temple with me. We'll go and we'll hide in the temple because they're coming to kill you. So you need to, so what he's telling him to do is to acknowledge the fact that you are, that you're, you're breaking the law, that you're doing something wrong. Go act like a criminal to save your hide because they're coming to get you. And then the guy in verse 12, he, here he gets all religious. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him. But he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. 
He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin, so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. So what was he hired for? He was hired so that I would be frightened. Okay? And then do what? And then sin. You see, do you know that, that it is just as bad to hear an evil report as to give one? He, giving an evil report, I mean, back in the book of Joshua. Oh, you know, there are giants in the land. Oh, there's, you know, yeah, but there's milk and honey. Oh, yeah, but there's giants in the land. And there's all oh, oh, horrible things. Those people ended up dying. God, God knocked them out. He whacked them all. Okay, but hearing of, a, hearing of an evil report is just as bad. Oh, do you know so-and-so is doing this? And do you know so-and-so is doing that? Do you know that hearing of an evil report even includes the fact that when somebody questions the vision that God has given you, okay, and you sit there and you listen to it, and then you act upon it based on that, you, it's like double jeopardy, man. Now, now not only are you in trouble for hearing a, a negative report, and you've got to get that out of your stinking thinking now, but you're also allowing it to cause you to sin. Notice he called it here, he called it a sin to hear the report and to act upon it. So what do you do? Do you curse the person out and tell them never to call you again? No, 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 no. We do what he's an expert at doing. We pray. Remember, O oh my God, Tobiah and Sanballat according to these works of theirs, and also Nodiah the prophetess and the rest of the prophets who are trying to frighten me. He takes it back to God. And he says, God, you remember these guys. You see what they're doing. They're coming to me saying that they represent you. They're not saying that they represent me. They're saying that they represent you. You deal with them, Lord. I'm not going to listen to what they have to say. I'm going to believe what you have to say. And this is the only place where we're going to go off because sometimes when God gives you a vision, when God gives you an idea, when God gives you a, a, a move, when God tells you to do something in your life, it doesn't always come to pass right away. It, it may take you know, a little while. It may take a long while. It took uh, Daniel 21 days to get his, uh, his prayers answered. It could take you 21 months. It could take you 21 years. There's that person that you've been praying for for a long time, that family member that you've been praying for to get saved. There's that child that's out, out in the world that doesn't want to hear about Jesus that you've been praying for to get saved. There's that mother or father that you wish their heart would just turn and they'd give their lives to, give their lives to God because they've got so little time left on this earth. There's that person at work that you know that their problems would be solved if they would only give their lives to Jesus, but they won't. But don't you worry about that. If God is giving you a burden for someone, for something, for, 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 a, for a purpose, then you need to stand on it. In the book of Habakkuk, if we turn to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3, and we're almost done, folks, promise. Go ahead. For the vision is still fixed for the time, and it is moving quickly to the end, and it will not be false. Even if it is slow in coming, go on and wait for it, because it will certainly come. It will not be kept back. God is giving Habakkuk encouragement about a vision. Okay, because Habakkuk saw that, that Israel and his time was in great turmoil as well. They were, they were in sin, they were having a problem. And Habakkuk's thing was, God, how long... Are you going to wait? How long is it going to be before you, you finally do something about this? And God is telling him, listen, if I've given you this vision as one of my prophets, and the scripture says that God does nothing 
without sharing it with his intimates, the prophets, first. Okay. If God is sharing it with you, if God is, is, is in his relationship with you, is sharing a vision with you, then it's going to come. It's going to come and it's not going to, it, it, it's not going to fail. It may take a little longer. It may be a really bumpy road along the way. And let me tell you, you know, sometimes God gives us something and, uh, and we don't expect it to be exactly the way that that he gave it to us. I was talking to my wife about uh, about this teaching when I was when I was setting up for it, and I told her I said, you know, this is kind of like uh, you telling me, well, Mikey, I want to put palm trees in the backyard. And I say, okay, babe, no problem. We're gonna put we're gonna put some palm trees in the backyard. So I go out and I get you know palm fronds and I put them in the ground and they're about oh yay high, you know. And I and I here you go, babe. You know, if you water them, if you diligently take care of them, in a couple of years, you're going to have six foot, eight foot palms. Now, she's got a choice. She could get mad and she could say, but I asked you for palm trees and look what you gave me. You gave me palm fronds that are going to grow up to be trees, but I'm going to have to work for them. Yeah, and... So don't you think that when you finally see them, when they're tall, when they're, they've got the love that you poured into them, the fertilizer, the singing that you did to them, all the, the watering you did, all the love and care that you did to them, don't you think you're going to wake up every morning and look out at your beautiful palm trees and say, you know, I loved you guys to the size you are today. You see, where, where does that apply in your life? What is it that God, that you ask God for, that when you got it, it just doesn't look like what you thought it was going to be? Trust me, that's your palm frond. And if you water it, if you nurture it, if you love it, if you, if you take care of it every day, one day you're going to wake up and you're going to see it's mature and it's strong and it's got a strong trunk and it's got strong leaves and strong branches that no matter what wind comes through there, it's not going to blow that palm tree down. But in the interim, it's going to take your nourishing it. You've got to coddle your vision. Take care of it. Be sure that you don't despise it. The scripture says, do not despise small beginnings. You know, we're a small Bible study. There's only a few of us here. I don't care. I teach and preach the same way to five, then I would to 500, then I would to 5,000. Because it's not about me. It's about the vision that God has given me and about the, the, the desire that he's given me in my heart and in my spirit to teach his people. So if God's giving you a vision, don't let anybody influence you away from it. Don't let anybody ever talk you out of it. Don't let anybody despise you out of it. Don't let anybody scare you out of it. And no matter what they try to do, always point yourself and point them at God. God is your answer. You're never going to be able to shut the mouths of those that are talking against you. It's just not going to happen. Verse 16, we're going to wrap it up. And it came about when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence. For they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. They noticed that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. You understand? If you endure to the end, you're going to win the race. This Christian walk, it's not a sprint, folks. It's a marathon. And those who endure to the end are going to receive their reward. They're going to hear the master's voice say, Good work, thou good and faithful servant. You understand? So be diligent. Be about your father's business. Make sure that you're in touch with the Holy Spirit. And when he lays something on your heart, when you know that you know that you know that you know that God called you to do this, listen, God is not going to always tell you over and over and over, I called you to do that. I called you to do it. One day he's going to give you that feeling. 
and you're going to ask him for a confirmation and he's going to confirm it. And that's it. At that point, you need to believe that what God told you in the light, he'll never take away in the dark. And when you're walking through a vision in your life, there's going to be some darkness. There's going to be some opposition. But Jesus said, there, there will be storms, I'll be with you. But he didn't say there won't be storms. He didn't say there won't be opposition. But he promised that he'd be with you. Amen? Father, we give you thanks and praise for tonight. We've gone a little over, Lord, but your word has been taught, Lord, and I hope that the word that's been taught tonight is seated in our spirits, and Lord, that it's it's just a blessing to us that hear it here and those that hear it on the internet. Lord, it's awesome to see the way that you teach us in your scripture, the way that you use lives of ordinary people to show us, because we're ordinary people, but we're your people. Lord, that, uh, that there's no giants no spiritual giants, that we all, no matter how much we look at the accomplishments that your word shows us as people, your word shows the people in it as people, and we can relate to these people. Lord, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for the historical documentation that we can look back to, that things haven't changed much. People are still doubting, and you're still gracious enough to walk us through it anyway. Father, we give you thanks again for this teaching, for this Bible study, for this group. I bless each and every person here and every person that's listening to this Bible study. Lord, uh, I just ask you to increase their knowledge, make straight their path, open every door that needs to be opened, close every door that needs to be closed and seal it shut with the blood of Jesus. Until we meet again, Lord, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.